Hey everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of the Right Words Podcast. I am Hayley Walsh, your host, author of Lighthearted Fiction, and as always, I'm coming to you from Darragh Country in far western Sydney at the base of the beautiful Blue Mountains. Now, this episode is a change of pace as we are bringing you our second and final Goodreads episode for the year. Now, it's a bumper-packed episode. I share four book reviews of my favourite reads of the last six months, and the books include That Night in Paris by Australian romance author Sandy Barker, Take a Moment by Scottish author Nina Kay, The Patient Doctor by Australian author Dr Ben Bravery, and The Last Voyage of Mrs Henry Parker by English-Australian author Joanna Nell. Listener and fellow Western Sydney resident Darius Guilford shares his review of Realm of the Hare by Mikhail Lovett. Three wonderful and talented returning guests, authors Wayne Tunks, Kevin Butler and Nathan Best tell us all about their latest release and share a reading from the book. So sit back, relax and enjoy this Goodreads episode and I'll see you on the other side. This is my review of That Night in Paris by Sandy Barker. This is the second book in the author's five-title holiday romance series. I really enjoyed the first book, titled One Summer in Santorini, and once again I found myself instantly drawn into another delightful story full of romance, friendship and fun. In this book we meet Catherine, or Kat. Kat is the sister of Sarah from book one. After a drunken and rather regretful romp with her fellow single housemate, Kat books herself on a whirlwind tour bus tour around Europe in order to escape the very awkward situation at home. Kat quickly makes friends on the coach and finds her girl tribe. All the ladies have their own personal reasons for temporarily escaping their lives. Kat gets a surprise of her life during their first stop in Paris, where she bumps into Jean-Luc, a very handsome blast from her past. Jean-Luc was her best friend when they were teenagers, having met when he was a French exchange student. They had kept in touch for many years, writing letters back and forth until Kat's jealous boyfriend gave her an ultimatum, me or him. Kat cut ties with Jean-Luc and then found herself single when her relationship with her boyfriend eventually broke down. The breakup hit Kat hard and she vowed to stay single forever to protect herself from getting hurt again. Now when she meets Jean-Luc again all those years later, she feels positively awful about the way she ended their friendship. He was always good looking but now he's as sexy as hell. Does Kat have feelings for Jean-Luc? She finds out he was in love with her back then. She wonders if she feels the same way, if she's always felt the same way. But Kat had promised herself she would never be in another relationship after her painful breakup. Yes, there was romance, but this book is more about friendship and how the bonds we make with others can help us navigate our way through life's dilemmas. Writing about female friendships is something Sandy does extremely well. There is a whirlwind tour of Europe, Girl Tribe Togetherness, a very sexy Frenchman, warm, engaging characters, descriptions of amazing food and stunning scenery. What more could you want in a good book? And of course, I give it five stars. This is my review of Take a Moment by Nina Kay. 
This is the first book I have read by Nina and I absolutely loved it. In this story, we meet Alex. Living in her hometown of Glasgow in Scotland, she is in the prime of her life. Our protagonist is engaged to her childhood sweetheart, Dom, has a great job as an IT project manager and is planning her dream wedding. When an unexpected fall occurs at work, it leads to a devastating diagnosis and suddenly her world as she knew it gets turned upside down. The diagnosis has a negative effect on her relationships with her family and friends. She feels as though everyone around her is treating her with kid gloves. She feels completely and utterly suffocated. When her mother and sister take over the wedding plans, her best friend treats her differently, her workplace takes her off an important project she has been working hard on, and she has an awful fight with her fiancé that leads to a terrible breakup, Alex decides to move to Birmingham, England, to start a new independent life away from all the people who think she can't cope. Determined that her diagnosis won't define her, she embarks on her new adventure. She meets a handsome man on the train trip to her new city. There are instant sparks between them. Their paths cross many more times throughout the book, and although Alex is attracted to him, she keeps her distance emotionally as to avoid getting hurt. She keeps her diagnosis a secret, as she believes no one would want to be in a relationship with what she calls damaged goods. With a new home, a new job with a supportive employer, and a handsome new friend who could be more, Alex settles into her new life. Can she maintain her independence and live her life her way on her terms? Will she receive the support from her loved ones to continue to be the driven, capable go-getter she has always been without them taking over? This is an insightful book that explores the physical and emotional effects of a life-altering diagnosis. Whilst it deals with sensitive issues, it remains upbeat and lighthearted throughout. The author herself is also living with a life-changing diagnosis similar to that of the main character. The book is well-written, honest, and heartwarming in every way. It's a great read, and of course, I give it five stars. This is my review of The Patient Doctor by Dr. Ben Bravery. I love a good memoir, and this one is great. It is the open and honest story of one man's cancer journey, resulting in his decision to become a doctor. Ben was living his best life working as a zoologist in China when he began to experience worrying symptoms. He tried to ignore them, hoping they would go away. He was only 28. When the symptoms got worse, he could no longer ignore what was going on. Back home in Australia with the support of his family, he underwent a colonoscopy, which showed he had advanced bowel cancer. And so began Ben's 18-month-long journey as a cancer patient in the Australian public health system. Ben's cancer treatment was a success, but the experience of being a patient in a system full of flaws had a profound and lasting effect on him. Being a very sick patient in the health system left Ben feeling vulnerable, scared, confused, frustrated, and sometimes completely dismissed because of a lack of effective communication, mainly from the medical staff caring for him. Ben decided to apply to study medicine to become a doctor himself once he recovered. After he went back to his job as a zoologist, he felt lost. So he studied medicine in order to try and understand why there was a glaring gap around communication, often leading to a failed doctor-patient relationship in our often overstretched healthcare system. 
Ben covers many topics, including the need for medical schools to allow more patients to share their experience with students as part of the curriculum, the pressures of studying while working full-time as a junior doctor, the bullying that occurs during a young doctor's progression through the ranks, and the need for more compassion, understanding, and person-centered care to be at the heart of the medical model. I'm an experienced nurse clocking up over 60, uh, sorry, oh God, 26 years, I'm not that old, 26 years working in the Australian public health system and could relate to so many things Ben spoke about. Even us nurses sometimes feel we are fighting a losing battle, trying to provide compassionate care in a healthcare system that is short-staffed and often driven by limited budgets, KPIs and business plans, leading to the clinicians working in the system to forget why we are all here in the first place, our patients. At the heart of this book is the need for healthcare to become more focused on people, for health to focus on compassion, kindness and better communication, for medical education to utilise the personal experience of patients as part of their teaching. Everyone who works in the healthcare system or anyone who has ever been a patient who felt scared, confused and vulnerable during their treatment needs to read this book and of course I give it five stars. Now, on to my last review, but certainly not the least. This is my review of The Last Voyage of Mrs. Henry Parker by Joanna Nell. Where do I start with this book? This would have to be one of the best stories I have read in a very long time. Like me, the author writes about older characters and works in health provision in her day job. This is the first book I have read by Joanna and I love, love, loved it. Evelyn, or Mrs. Henry Parker to you, is living out the rest of her days on the Golden Sunset, a luxurious yet dated cruise ship. She is the wife of the ship's doctor, Mr. Henry Parker, and is well known to the crew. Henry is now retired and they get to spend the rest of their days enjoying the precious time together. If only she could find him. He seems to have gone missing. She finds some white sneakers. Where did they come from? They're not her style at all but they are rather comfy and great for walking around the ship in search of her missing husband. She calls them her Finding Henry shoes. Evelyn spends her evenings dressing for dinner on one embarrassing occasion, finding herself turning up to breakfast dressed to the nines. She was sure it was dinner time. She spends her days telling fellow passengers all about her life, her work as a nurse, her journey to Australia all those years ago, how she met Henry and their life together. Evelyn meets fellow passengers Frank and um, um, Fizzy Cola, Nola, that's it, during a colouring in class. Now, despite her failing memory, she finds ways to remember forgotten names. Frank and Nola quickly become her friends, staying by Evelyn's side while she searches for Henry and entertains them with her stories. Now, where is that husband of hers? She's sure he will turn up eventually. Evelyn finds out this will be her last voyage and she has to leave the ship, her home. Is the ship being decommissioned? She can't leave without Henry. What's going on? The author approaches dementia with both sensitivity and care. I work as a clinical nurse consultant who specialises in caring for people with dementia in my day job. And this book hit me smack bang in all the feels. I laughed, I cried, I cringed, I gasped, and I rode the roller coaster of emotions along with Evelyn. I was totally and completely immersed in Evelyn's journey from woe to go and couldn't put the book down. It is evident that the author understands this disease and the complex issues that come with it, such as ensuring a person-centered individual approach to care. 
This is a story about love, loss, and the memories we hold close to our heart, even the ones we have forgotten. I was bawling my eyes out by the time I got to the last few pages, both tears of sadness and joy. And if I'm honest, I have a few tears welling up now as I read this review. There are a few surprises for the reader you won't see coming. I would give this book six stars if I could. A wonderful, heartwarming read. Hello, my name is Darius, and I'm happy to share this book review with you on the Right Words podcast. I'm grateful to live and work on unceded Darug, Gundungara and Wiradjuri land the beautiful Blue Mountains and neighbouring areas west of Sydney, New South Wales. My local area has a high concentration of authors, artists and creators. Today I'd like to share with you the work of one of our extraordinary authors. Realm of the Hare by Michal Lovett is probably the most beautiful book I have ever read. I adore it. It is more than a book. Michal has written a love song to words, language and story. Realm of the Hare is a young adult fantasy novel that dances in deep mythos and heritage, and it makes my little pagan animist heart sing. Michal Lovett is a successful playwright with international productions of his work. Now, with Realm of the Hare, he has gifted us a haunting and intriguing first novel. The book blends young adult eco-fiction with Irish mythology. The story takes place on a farm in Ireland, as well as in Olons, an alternate world deep in the ancient forest, which is populated by massive deer, giant talking rabbits, well, hares to be precise, and magical bears with ram's horns. A small group of Olonites protects Mother Nature and her secrets. They are working to stave off the wide-scale destruction of the natural world. The protagonist is Boudicca Moriarty, Michal gets six stars right there for inventing the best name for a protagonist ever. Boudicca is a 12-year-old girl from London whose single mother has gone missing. When Boudicca joins her grandparents in Ireland, she finds herself guided in her dreams deep into this alternative world. When she learns that her mother may be trapped in a mythical land, she sets out on a rescue mission with the help of wonderfully engaging characters including Finn, an oversized, shape-shifting hare. Myths, magic and metaphors run through the book, and we run with them. Although the book's ecological message never overwhelms the plot, exploitation of resources and people and the resulting damage to our planet is the root cause of all the life-or-death battles. I really enjoyed reading the points of view of not only Boudicca, but also the many Olenists, because the characters were all so interesting and they felt fully formed. Michal has invented evocative descriptions of the settings and the characters to transport you deep into this mystical world. His language is rich and poetic. For example, his first sentence in chapter one, it is in quiet moments fear roars. Later, he describes the sunset as measured and long in its decline, as if time poured slowly in the bruising light. 
Each chapter begins with prose poetry in the voice of nature, animals, birds, even the wind. Mihal allows nature to talk in the first person to the reader, and I think this is both clever and whimsical. A new approach to foreshadowing that layers colour and music to the story. The Realm of the Hare is an exciting adventure full of brilliant writing, unique characters, and desperate battles. It makes for great reading, and isn't that what we want? For me, the greatest magic in this book is how it took me back to the joy of childhood reading, discovering the wonder of language and engaging storytelling. My hope is that you will find the same enjoyment. I know this book is available through the publisher Dixie Books and of course via Amazon and Barnes and Noble in both paperback and ebook. Finally, you will find the book locally in the Little Lost Bookshop in Katoomba, the Good Earth Bookshop in Wentworth Falls, Megalong Books in Lura, and other fine bookshops throughout the mountains. Mihal Lovett has crafted something very special. Please go find this book, read this book, share this book with friends and family. It gets all the stars. Thanks Haley, and the Right Words podcast for giving me this opportunity to share a book I love with you and your listeners. Hello, my name is Wayne Sunks. I am the breakfast announcer on my 88 radio station. I also host the podcast, You, Me, The 80s and The 90s. And I have two books out at the moment, Normal or Nothing Like It, and my book from this year, Electricity, which is a YA novel. It is available to order from all good bookstores, or you can look up tunks.com.au. But yes, if you just type in Electricity by Wayne Tunks, you probably should find it. I'm going to read a little bit of Chapter 4. This is Tina. It had been a long day for Tina Power, the English teacher. Sure, she got to miss the double period of Year 7 English she despised so much, but a day alone on an excursion with her Year 10s was more than a little testing. They'd been studying Romeo and Juliet in class all term, and she'd heard about a production for students in Newtown. So off they went on a bus and two trains and found themselves sitting in the smallest and grottiest theatre she'd ever seen. The performances were average at best, the direction non-existent, and the set looked shabbier than the kindergarten production her son had just performed in. To make matters worse, her students were terribly misbehaved. Madison and her friends laughed inappropriately at the women in the cast. Grayson thought it was funny to heckle Romeo during his death scene, and the Thomas twins tried to start a fight with some private school boys in the foyer. As the teachers from the other schools looked down at her with disdain, Tina had never been so embarrassed in her life. Excuse me, miss, but did you understand the director's vision? The last thing that Tina needed was a lecture from Parker on the misgivings of the Sydney Fringe Theatre scene. There were only 10 minutes to the next train and the students were all dawdling down King Street. She'd already stopped the Thomas twins from shoplifting at the local variety store. Madison and her friends had begged to stop at numerous stores and try and some clothes. Tina couldn't wait till the kids were back at school and out of her hair. We'll talk about it tomorrow, she snapped at Parker. That sounds good because I so want to discuss why the director set the play in Paris during the 1920s and still had the cast use a mix of British and Australian accents and that one guy with a Russian accent. Was that his real accent or was he putting it on? It sounded so average. Madison O'Sullivan, are you trying to make us miss our train? The sight of Madison ducking into a corner convenience store gave Tina the chance to escape Parker's endless questions and critiques. I'm getting water and gum. Would you like me to starve to death? And with that, Madison disappeared into the store. 
Tina was close to losing it. She wanted to run in and grab Madison by the hair and pull her out and make a huge example of her. But now the Thomas twins were taking off across the busy road to talk to two of the private schoolgirls they'd been separated from in the theatre foyer. Parker, go in there and get Madison out of the shop. I don't care if you have to drag her out, yelled Tina as she started across the road. Me? She won't listen to me. Parker didn't want to do this at all. Madison scared the hell out of her. If we miss the train, I will hold you personally responsible. Tina was off to scold the Thomas twins for the hundredth time that day, almost getting hit by the bus to Coogee while crossing the street. Bo smiled for strength. Mel apologised with her eyes. Parker gulped. If she thought taking on the robber in her kitchen was bad, that was nothing compared to taking on Madison. With her breath held, Parker stepped inside the grotty old convenience store. Polite but firm were the words that kept racing through her head. There she was, that vision of perfect hair and grooming, standing at the counter. She's just a girl, that's all she is, Parker told herself. Madison, Miss Power is going insane out there. This isn't me, she made me come in here. She's going crazy with power and is demanding you go outside now. Miss Power, crazy with power, is that okay with you? There, done. It may not have been eloquent, but she didn't open her mouth and vomit. That was a good start. Parker was ready for the abuse, a death stare, or even a water bottle thrown at her head. But what happened next scared the hell out of her. Madison turned and looked at her with apologetic eyes. It looked like she was close to tears, and Parker was confused. That was when she saw him. A fat, ugly, sweaty man standing behind the counter with a gun pointed directly at her. Madison wondered if she was now oozing pheromones attracting low-life criminals. Get inside, girly. Shut your pretty little mouth and you won't get hurt. Parker was worried for Madison. Never had the self-crowned queen of the school seemed so vulnerable. If Parker wasn't so scared herself, she might be enjoying this. Now neither of you move or I'll shoot you both in those pretty little faces. Then the sweaty man started scooping money from the register into a backpack. Instinct saw Parker moving slowly towards Madison, where she finally saw what Madison must have witnessed and why she was so scared. The shop assistant lay on the floor, unconscious, with blood pouring from his head. Parker could see he'd been pistol whipped. Parker inched closer to Madison. She felt the need to hug her, but fear stopped her reaching out. The girls kept their gaze, Madison nodding slightly, encouraging Parker to come closer to her. The sweaty thief was now finished with the register and was busily shoving cigarette packets into his dirty old backpack. Parker was now only centimetres from Madison. Madison's eyes feverishly pleading with Parker to take the extra few steps. I told you little bitches not to move. The robber turned around, backpack bulging and gun aimed squarely at Parker. Madison dropped her water bottle, the crack lid leaking overpriced spring water over the old lino floor. So, here's where I'm supposed to shoot you, or would you just prefer I kiss you? The robber thought this was funny. Parker thought she'd rather choose option C, vomit. Tears started to appear in Madison's eyes. The fear was getting the better of her, and Parker could hear her breathing becoming laboured. Madison was also beginning to physically crumble, her shoulders slowly starting to cave in. Parker worried Madison was not strong enough for this. You girls are very pretty, the sweaty man sneered with a spit foaming in the corner of his mouth. His voice became deeper and the situation was spiralling out of control. Parker brazenly took the extra few steps to Madison's side, who at this point had begun sobbing. I said not to move, you stupid little bitch. The robber began to pull back the trigger as his sweat dripped onto the revolver. Madison screamed and the man began to smile. We've now officially missed the train, ladies, and I'm not happy. Tina boldly stepped through the door, completely oblivious to the events inside the convenience store. The robber turned as he was firing, the bullet ricocheting through the store. Tina screamed, flour started to blanket the store, the bullet landing safely in the baking section. The robber began to squeeze the trigger of his revolver again. A panicked Tina dropped to the floor, a mix of tears and hysterics. 
Without much thought, Parker and Madison held onto each other, tightly. That's when it happened. As Parker and Madison hugged and their fingers interlaced, an exquisite blue flash of electricity shot powerfully through their hands, flying quickly through the dank air and knocked the sweaty robber off his feet. That is that chapter. Thanks for listening and thank you to Hayley for the opportunity. That's electricity available to order from all good bookstores. Haley, thank you for having me on and for giving me the opportunity to talk about my uh, new release called The Welsh Dragon. It's a novel about the 14-year exile uh, that Henry Tudor experienced leading up to the Battle of Bosworth. Henry Tudor would ultimately go on to fight Richard III and become Henry VII of England. But this novel follows a much younger Henry Tudor when he's just trying to survive. He's lost his title and all of his... uh, Uh, possessions and all he really wants to do is just make a life for himself. Uh, I have a excerpt I wanted to read that takes place near the beginning of the book when Henry Tudor meets uh, a Breton uh, widow who uh, is a tailor in, uh, in the independent duchy of Brittany. Once they passed, Henry noticed the young woman in blue from earlier in the distance studying him. She smirked faintly upon being caught staring, but showed neither embarrassment nor interest in the group of young lords beside her. Without a word for Philippe, Henry stumbled toward her without the faintest idea what he would say to this beautiful, strange girl. Executing an awkward bow, he prayed she didn't take the opportunity to run away. He needed to hear her voice. She was still watching him with those wide eyes when he rose. My lady, his voice squeaked. Rather than comment on his nervousness, she dipped into a shallow curtsy. My lord. I'm Henry Tudor, Earl of Richmond. The English exile, she asked. You've heard of me? He immediately regretted the outburst. The young Breton lords would never react in such a way. The corners of her lips curled into a grin. There's hardly a courtier who isn't talking about the Tudor's thrilling flight from the White Rose. Thrilling. Would they describe it thusly after a life under guard for 14 years, only to be taunted for six months of freedom before doing it all again? Henry savored the sound on his tongue. A beautiful name for a beautiful woman. His voice, in a register far lower than usual, sounded silly to him. She offered him no giggle or bashful smile, only the faint incline of her head. The controlled reaction confused him. The other young ladies had all clamored for his attention. Exile or not, he had the blood of English and French royalty in his veins. A tailor, you say? Yes, my husband comes from a long line of skilled craftsmen. She spoke proudly, almost defensively. That explains it, at least. No wonder why she wasn't interested in him. She was already married. His heart sank. Explains what? She asked stiffly. Your behavior. Your hair. It's just, what's wrong with my behavior? Louder, she demanded. What's wrong with my hair? 
His own eyes widened. No, I just meant that you're not acting like the other girls. They're so friendly and... And I'm not? The muscles in her neck tightened. No, no, that's not what I... I mean, the other girls are all seductive. And what? I'm a frumpy, frumpy peasant widow? Had she said widow? <clears throat> when I first saw you, she continued, I was intrigued. Every other boy here just wants to bet a pretty girl. I thought I saw something deeper in your eyes. I thought maybe because all you've experienced... She shook her head. I was wrong. You're just an arrogant fool looking down his nose at us commoners. Go back to your boar hunting and servants. I have no time to waste on you. She stormed away but halted and spat over her shoulder. And your hose are too thick. His cheeks warmed with growing embarrassment. He felt the judgment of the nearby courtiers whose gaze just dropped to his legs. Whispered surprise turned into laughter as the incident spread with a shame. His fury was only held at bay by the inescapable proof that he was a fool. A tongue-tied, clumsy fool. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share a little piece of my new novel. Uh, throughout the course of the novel, it really follows Henry as he goes from a, a penniless teenager, and he really learns what it takes to survive in this, in this world where his enemies hate him. You know? And, and as, he, as he grows up, he really wants to just, just live a simple life. <laughs> he's, he's even willing to give up his title. He doesn't care. He just wants to live a simple life. But the tendrils of his past continue to, to, to claw at him and, and pull him back into that world. So it's really a story of, of what effect would that have on a person? How would it, how would it change a person? And, and how do you deal with that? Uh, their very human desire to identify and, and, and create your own identity when everyone else around you is trying to define you. So thank you very much, Haley. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I'd love to speak with you again. I hope uh, all uh, your listeners uh, take a look at the novel, see if it's for them, uh, and thank you very much. Good evening, everyone, and thank you to my good friend Haley for having a slot on the podcast to shamelessly plug my upcoming series. I'm Nathan Best, an Australian author of young adult fiction and currently military action fiction. I love the action genre and firmly place myself amongst it. First and foremost, I love to write and I get a deep sense of satisfaction from creating characters and events for them to move through. I use a unique little used style of low chapterisation and hind scene breaking, uh, which rapidly shifts the reader's focus across different character points of view. This allows me to maintain a rapid pace for each novel and I basically don't want to let the reader breathe um, from start to finish. I do get some joy from my beta readers when they complain they don't get enough time to sleep while they're reading my work. I write strong characters, which are relatable and fast, entertaining scenes. There is some part in there you relate to, or some experience or smell which will spark a memory. That comes from my main influences, which are Richard Lehman, Matthew Rowley, and Dale Brown, to name a few. If you haven't experienced with Richard Lehman, you should check him out. He's quite amazing. I'm very regimented when I start to write a campaign for a novel. Um, I set goals and timelines, do lots of research, lots of scene planning, and I stick to it. And I'm also a very fast writer. I'm a bit of an old metalhead, so I listen to heavy metal while I write, which helps keep my pace. Um, and I allow eight weeks to write, and I normally finish a thousand, thousand word manuscript in about 30 writing days uh, during those eight weeks. I only write two hours a day in general, um, but I'll go up to five on a weekend if I have the time. Uh, tiring, but deeply enjoyable. 
So for the last 40 years, I've been perfecting the, the, uh, the craft until I was happy to independently publish my first novels. I didn't look for a traditional publisher um, for those novels but I, because I wanted to learn how the publishing game worked. So I independently published my first three novels. Uh, then I tackled the task of finding a traditional publisher for the Damien Hunter series, which is my current one, which I'm talking about now, um, because I felt it deserved to be in stores. So just a little bit about myself. So I served in the Royal Australian Air Force for over 30 years, though I am a reservist these days, and I normally work in the maritime industry now. Um, I've also sought out jobs um, and experiences which grew me as a person, but also my writing. And I spent years trying all the things that I write about now to give that nice personal edge. So I have three novels currently published independently, uh, two Young Old Adventure, um, which is Burn September and Zark Creek. Uh, one military sci-fi, which is called Raven's Eye, um, and Big Sky Publishing have picked up the first three novels of my new Damien Hunter series. The first book in the the first novel in that series is called Battleborn, that's scheduled for release in December, mid-December this year. Uh, the second novel is due early next year, and the third towards the end of twenty-three. And the series are projected to run to about ten novels. So the series follows Damien Hunter, who's a combat veteran, ex-Royal Australian Air Force Special Forces operator turned contractor. And Damien is employed by the Taipan organisation. So Damien and his team, Taipan 16, are the warfighters who take deniable missions that no government or legitimate entity will openly undertake. So a little bit about Battleborn, uh, which is the first novel in the series, and that sees Damien and his team tasked with an Overwatch mission in Afghanistan's Chura Valley, supporting a Dutch assault on an Afghani warlord. With the exfiltration plan compromised, Damien and his team are ordered to join up with the besieged operators, Dutch operators. So they then are stalked by a ruthless ex-French foreign legion contractor, and Damien and his team are in the battle of their lives as Type M16 and the Dutch fight their way clear of the Deadly Valley. So I'd just like to share with you a bit of um, a bit of praise for the series and a couple of endorsements. Um, so the Damien Hunter series immerses the reader in fast-paced, authentic military action, giving little time to breathe from start to finish. The author captures character-driven storylines, which weave through the series, adding depth and complexity to each novel. The series is embedded with personal experiences and draws on the expertise of Special Forces veterans to portray combat as it can only be experienced firsthand. And a couple of endorsements for Battleborn. The first ones are by a good mate of mine, Keith Banks. He's the author of A Gun to a Head, Gun to the Head, sorry, um, Drugs, Guns and Lies. Um, and he's an ex- Undercover police officer and cert officer. Uh, so he wrote for me, uh, Battleborn is an adrenaline-filled roller coaster. So authentic you can taste the Afghanistan dust. Good reading. Uh, the next endorsement comes from Troy Knight, who's the author of Havoc 06. And he's an ex-Air Force combat controller. And the main character, Damon Hunter, is also an ex-Air Force combat controller. Infused with action, this book also immerses you in a plethora of powerful human emotions with its characters. A gripping read close to my heart, not only due to the military connection, but highlights the mental effects of war. Battleborn will generate a new group of readers in the military fiction genre. And the final endorsement comes from a friend of mine who worked in Special uh, Special Operations Command from 97 through to 2013. And uh, he only goes by his call sign, which is Mike One. Uh, a powerful and gut-wrenching story that highlights the comradeship and brutality of combat against an enemy who is willing to die for a cause. A phrase comes to me by my mentor, Colonel Hans Iceman Flair. 
the best laid plans go to waste after the first shot is fired has never rung so true as detailed in this action-packed novel. So I just wanted to share a little bit of that with you so it can give you just an idea of other people's opinion of my work, not just mine, because uh, mine obviously will be very high. Um, so I'd just like to share a bit of Battle Ball with you now. So I always like to just start a reading at the start of a novel. So basically, if I can't, um, if I can't capture you there, then I haven't done my job professionally. So I'll just call it up on my screen for you. Scroll down a bit. So each um, scene break in has its own heading. Um, so this is off to chapter one. So this is um, the ex-French Foreign Legion um, character, which it starts with, which a novel starts with there. Um, and his name is Ranger Toussaint, and he's on the northern Wazistan uh, border currently, which is the border near the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. Blinking his eyes slowly, Rain appeared at the grey landscape through the lenses of the L3, L3 Harris night vision binoculars strapped over the top of his head. Hidden behind a stand of boulders at a bend in the dirt road to his front, Rainer felt secure in the early dark of the night. As dusk fell, he had slipped on an anti-infrared cloak and hood over his camouflage uniform and settled in to wait for his contact to arrive. Rainer's six foot two high frame was folded amongst the, amongst the rocks with his knees resting on the hard surface. Rainer was used to long hours of discomfort from not moving and the aching pain it induced in his body. He had learnt to turn that pain into a light thrill of pleasure. Rainer felt a surge of self-pride that, that he was able to maintain his resilience at a high level. The only movement he allowed himself was to ripple his lips and adjust his jaw slightly. At 30 years old, Rainer Toussaint was an experienced combat veteran turned contractor purveyor of very specialised skills. Spotting movement in the distance on the road, Rainer stiffened and waited. A figure came into focus in the binoculars. Rainer intently scanned the outline of the man walking towards him along the rocky path. Falling behind were two horses and three donkeys. The animals looked unhappy but obedient. Tensing for action, Rainer reached slowly down to his right hip and slid a wild steer wing tactical knife from its sheath. To make his passage through Pakistan hassle-free, he had travelled without carrying a primary weapon or secondary weapon. The main weapons of his trade were safely protected and loaded in packages behind him. That left the knife. The wild steer was the only weapon he could bring, quick, bring quickly to a fight. Reversing his grip on the blade, Rainer seemed to coil into himself like a snake waiting for prey. His eyes hardened and he prepared himself to make a kill. A small grin of satisfaction crept across his mouth. Abruptly, the man stopped 20 metres away. Pausing for a moment, he raised his hands high in the air and held out three fingers on the left hand and two on the right. From his right hand hung the lead of the, for the first horse and it pulled against it. A soft cursed impasse too floated across the still air and reached Rainer. Rainer waited, waited a second longer to scan the terrain for any movement, then rose from his hide and cleared his throat. Cleared his throat, sorry. The man jumped in surprise, and the horses shuffled their hooves nervously behind him. Pulling himself up to his full height and squaring his shoulders to intimidate the man, Rainer moved quietly out onto the road and walked across to where the man stood. Rainer constantly scanned from side to side for any signs of an ambush. As he moved, he slid the knife back into its sheath, but kept its locking strap freed. Salam Akalim, said Rainer, pulling away the binoculars and blinking his own night vision into place. Rainer's accent was heavy with his French birth and the words were mashed and slow. He hated speaking Pashto and had never been able to master it. He had other languages to communicate with. 
Frowning in the darkness, the man tilted his head to one side, unsure of what he was being asked. Salam, Makalim, replied Rainer, opening his body, ready to attack the man. He moved his right hand down onto the hilt of the knife. This person might not be, may not be his contact. A soft chuckle drifted, drifted across from the man. English is okay if you like, my friend. You're very hard to understand. English it is. I speak other languages if you're more comfortable, offered Rainer, carefully watching for any reaction which might give this man away as someone other than who he was expecting. My friend, English is the only other I speak if you do not have Pashto. English, then. Who are you, said Rainer. His tone was hard and offered no friendship at that meeting. I am Abdul Anwar. I will be your translator and companion until your task is finished. I want to escort you to Abdul Al-Malik, said the man, licking his lips and peering uncertainly at Rainer's dim figure. I need to load my equipment. How long will, he How long will the journey take, inquired Rainer. The man had made the correct pass sign and provided the correct name. Anwar was his contact and escort. One and one half days if we do not sleep, replied Anwar. Then we do not sleep, commanded Rainer. Do you have anything for me? Yes, but I could not get all you asked for. I have the best I could find. I will get it for you, replied Anwar, walking to the last donkey in the train. Rainer walked back behind the pile of rocks he had been waiting in and, put, and began pulling bags of equipment out and onto the road. A long, narrow bundle was the last one he pulled clear. He placed it carefully on top of the pile. You have a lot of equipment, my friend, pointed out Anwar, as he closed the flap on a saddlebag and returned to face Rainer. Rainer. Your chieftain is paying for a specialist, Anwar, not a common mercenary. Yes, here replied Anwar, replacing the owing the bundles. He handed Rainer a worn chest rig full of magazines, a Russian Makarov 9mm pistol in a holster, and a stubby AKS-74U rifle which gleamed in the dark. I did not ask for any of this Russian or door, said Rainer, almost spitting out the words and using the French, French word for garbage or shit. As for German weapons, I only used the very best to defend myself. You had my list. You had my requirements. Angrily, Rainer removed his anti-IR cloak and stuffed it into the nearest bag. He dropped the chest rig, chest rig over his body and attached the pistol to his belt. Pulling the pistol free, he racked back the slide, feeling the workings as best he could in the darkness. Slapped a magazine, tucked in a magazine and dropped it back into, the, into its holster. Try, turning to turning the AK seventy AKS seventy four U over in his hands, Rainer shook his head, pulled back the cocking handle, and listened to its movement. At least it had been oiled and cleaned in recent history. He pulled free a magazine from his rig, clicked it home, and slung the rifle over his right shoulder. I know, my friend, but I could not get those. I can get these. It is all I have for you," replied Anwar nervously. He had been told to be wary of this man who had come with many talents. Rainer's reputation was for violence and aggression, and he would thought nothing of killing. He made a good mercenary for the cause. Abdullah Malik had paid a high price for Rainer to undertake the mission assigned to him. Help me load the equipment, replied an annoyed Rainer. He moved past Anwar with two bags and hitched them over the donkey's back. You have rifles? asked Anwar. Two. That rifle case has my HK MSG 90 and the long bundle is my primary weapon answered Rainer absently, vaguely waving his hand at the bags. Everyone was always interested in his rifles. They were unique. The big one is for the job. Yes, and the MSG-90 is for if things get too close, answered Anwar. Answered Rainer. I've organised protection for you also. Four men will be your bodyguards. Are they any good, pro Rainer? He always worked alone, but often an employer would supply area protection while he conducted his work. 
they are the sons of, of men who fought the Russians. They are good and have seen many battles. They are good men. We will see, answered Rainer. And that is just a short reading of uh, Battleborn. It's just the opening scene for Battleborn, where Rainer is basically moving across the border and uh, to con start conducting his mission against Type N16. So, uh, Battleborn is out in mid-December. If you love action novels, this is a series for you. Um, thank you very much for your time, and I appreciate you listening. You can find more about me and my upcoming releases on my website, nathanbestauthor.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and very, very occasionally on Twitter. Uh, again, thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your night. Bye. I hope you found a book that interests you and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks to Darius for sharing his review of Realm of the Hair by Michal Lovett. A big thank you to Wayne, Kevin and Nathan for returning to share their latest releases with us all. Now before I go, I wanted to tell you all about our exciting Australian Christmas giveaway. We have three book prizes to give away. We have two copies of Michal Lovett's Realm of the Hair for two lucky YA fantasy lovers and a copy of both The Christmas Swap and The Christmas Trip, written by our good friend here at the podcast, the lovely and very talented Sandy Barker, for one lucky holiday romance lover. Thank you to both authors for their generosity. Now, this giveaway is only open to our Australian listeners due to the cost of international postage. To enter, simply send us an email at talesbyhales76 at gmail.com, all lowercase, that's T-A-Y-L-E-S, B-Y-H-A-Y-L-E-S 76 at gmail.com and then put either YA fantasy lover or holiday romance lover in the subject line and simply tell us what has been your favourite season 2 episode and why. Entries close on the 8th of December so hurry if you want a chance to be one of our lucky winners. Thanks for listening guys and remember when we write we can't go wrong and until next time bye for now. <laughs>